Welcome everyone, this is Dolly Noted, I'm the host Tyler Burns, and today I'm going to be playing a clip by one of my favorite writers. This poem is called, I Know Nothing of Anyone's Beauty. How does it feel to be beautiful, she asks with eyes closed. I stare at the ceiling above my bed and dissect her words. How does it feel, I think, to be beautiful? Beauty describes the way I look, maybe. The way I speak, maybe. The way I treat others and the way I treat myself. How does it feel? How does it feel? How does it feel? It feels like your hand in mine for nine years straight. It feels like that time your dad made you cry at the bus stop. It feels like going into a bathroom stall with a club photographer and letting him take pictures of me with my pants off. It feels like freshman year at NYU. It tastes like bad pizza in Everclear. It smells like my face and your hair. It looks like you. It looks like you. It looks like you. This poem is titled Smearing Blood on the Faces of Dead Presidents. When people find out I keep my savings in pickle jars hidden around my tiny apartment, they ask me if I've ever heard of a place called a bank. And they say, you know, there's a Bank of America just two blocks away from here. And I look at them and I smile. And then I look at the floor and I always reply with, oh, I know, I don't know. I think I just like to do this instead. And I give a half-assed assessment of my reasonings for shoving money in small glass jars. And they don't collect interest, I know. But a super glued jar is just an easier way of saving money to me than a bank account that I hold the key to. And yes, I am a grown woman. And yes, I've heard about interest rates and savings accounts. But have you ever thrown something small and beautiful into a brick wall and watched it shatter into a glittering explosion of hope and pain and glee and exhalation and little bits of wealth? And have you ever gotten small cuts on the tips of your fingers and smeared it on the faces of dead presidents? That was Sarah Jean on the Chevy Dollhouse uh, mixtape in 2013. And God damn it. Ain't it fucking good. Fuck. It's so good. And that's the thing. Like, they were putting out great work. And I think people look back at this time and they go like, like it wasn't great work or they were just fucking around. No. They were, like, putting it all on the fucking line every single time. They were putting out the best work. Maybe it's not what they do now. Maybe their writing has changed. Yes, your writing and your voice, it's going to change over 10 years, guys. And I don't think it's fair to, like, look back on yourself and look down on it. Or maybe you will, but I don't think... You should share your work with the audience. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know shit. So I'm going to share a new poem by someone else. Love in the time of Google Analytics. As there is no time for another depression, you must learn to control yourself systematically using a diet of energy drinks and uplifting party music. Lamotrigine ain't got nothing on Big Sean, I think. Then that's offensive to somebody. Then so is everything. Then the direct correlation between the times he's acting shitty and the times I tell you I miss you is something I ought to feel more guilty about. 
Yeah, I didn't want to become the type of girl who refers to her internal monologue, but if I am the only person I talk to in real life, you can understand. This manic period will be nice because I won't have to spend money on food for a few days and I will have something to edit in the aftermath. Thank you. I won't have to miss the joke you told in January at a drugstore in Long Island City or the light of the morning in October when our addictions made us move out of the apartment and I won't think of the shopping mall parking lot where we met the day after I said goodbye to a lot of people I will never see again or the view of Philadelphia from the airplane. You are just the last in a long line of boys I want to tell sort your life out and love me. But I gave up on reliance a long time before we met. I want to be crying while I am kissing you, but fuck that shit. I need to get paid. Fuck, ain't that powerful, man. God damn it. Every time I listen to that. I also love the two clicks at the end, but like every time I listen to that, I get goosebumps. It's just so powerful, man. Shit, she's such a strong fucking writer. And by the way, that was Lucy K. Shaw um, on the mixtape volume two. Sarah Jean read from the mixtape volume one. God damn it. Just like they were so strong because I know she wanted to be like a singer. She's Lucy's complicated. Lucy's a multifaceted woman. I think that she multifaceted writer, multifaceted person, more willing to open up because she was trying to find a voice and willing to put herself out there. With now, she's found her voice. She's more confident. Back then, ten years ago. It's more raw, more edgy. I'm going to play you. And I'm going to end it on that. I haven't done a reading since the last week of October in Paris. Um, actually, with Maylan. Was that the last reading I did? Yeah. The last reading I did was at the end of October... Um, and now it's February 19th, and I'm reading tomorrow with May Lantan again, one of the, one of my favorite fiction writers. Um, and I just want to practice reading a story from my book that I don't think I'll read tomorrow because I'm going to read some new stuff, but I just haven't sort of focused on what, because I've just been writing, I haven't really been focusing on what, how things sound. So I'm going to read this story. The British Museum was, I read it one time on the tour I did um, with Oscar for Teen Surf Goth. I read it in Montreal. Yeah, I read it in Montreal and it made me feel really sad. So I didn't read it anymore, even though it's like, it's fiction and it's based on things that happened to me ages ago. Um, still, I don't know, it just makes me, I didn't want to go 
through the experience of reading it and then to have to sort of socialise with people afterwards felt really weird. So I, why am I reading it now? I don't know, just because I want to. Because I, I think it's really nice to remember as well how to be to be like in the feeling of your own work or something feels good. So I'm doing it in private on this recording app that I just got. Um, and just because I want, I feel recently like I want to experiment more with audio. Like I, I don't know. I feel like it's a bad sign in, in your life if you're considering starting a podcast. I think that's a specific type of loneliness maybe, but anyway, maybe I can just read this and either keep it to myself or put it on the internet, I'll see. So this is called The British Museum and it's from my book called The Motion. In one of the rooms there was a reconstruction of an entire temple. We didn't read the plaque properly, but it said something about the Assyrian Empire and something about a certain period of history, BC. We walked around the outside of it, although we were already inside of another building, the museum, and I wondered which event I felt most interested in. The time when the temple had originally been built and used for worship, the time when the temple had been deconstructed and transported to England in the 19th century to become a museum piece, or the time now when the two of us were standing beside it, dwarfed by the magnitude of the stone pillars, seeing each other for the first time since admitting to no longer being in love. In our past, I had imagined various reconstructions of us somewhere else, with artificial lighting accompanied by a summary of our story. But more recently, I had come to accept that we were much more likely to remain an unfinished ruin in exactly the place where we had started. There would be no museum, there would be no commemoration, there was nothing that needed to be preserved particularly or remembered. There was nothing to show off to the public. We were never going to be a tourist attraction. I looked at Dan. He was Googling Assyria on his iPhone. I pictured myself in the form of a text message appearing on his screen. The disassociation between the letters of my name and the shape of my body was something we had either suffered from or enjoyed, depending. I drifted into the next room, turning back briefly to look at him standing in front of the temple with a group of Japanese tourists, and I loved him sadly and I stepped lightly on the marble floors, a little bit more aware than usual of our unmalleable insignificance. It felt fun to be alone in the ugliest way possible, which meant actually to not be alone at all for once. In a dimly lit corridor with ancient statues and busts on either side of me, conversations hummed in the distance happening elsewhere, but no other living body was in the same room. I imagined a bored security guard looking at the closed-circuit camera version of myself, I looked up and winked to them, though I didn't know which direction to face in. There were so many layers of art upon art everywhere. I was trying my best to ignore every one of them for a little while, but it never worked. I was always analysing from too many points of view, always identifying intention when it didn't have to matter. I had started to do something recently. Every time I was in a gallery or a museum, or wherever I was looking at something very purposefully on display, even a pair of men's skinny fit tapered jeans on a mannequin at Uniqlo. I had started trying to imagine myself as both the subject and the artist in the moments of the work's creation. I stared at a statue of a man who had died 3,000 years ago. I imagined him wearing skinny fit tapered jeans from Uniqlo. Dan followed me into the corridor and I saw myself as he was seeing me. Then I saw us both as we had been earlier that day, before we had left the house, lying side by side on the sofa. 
I clenched my fingers together into a fist, recalling the instinct to touch my hand to his hand, which I had resisted, knowing that the time for that in our relationship had now passed. We would now have to learn how to make the best of what we knew about each other to help ourselves individually. That's what I kept telling myself. I had travelled hundreds of miles to stand next to somebody who really knew me so that I wouldn't have to speak to be understood. It was worth the distance. I looked into the stone-filled eyes of the statues and I related to a version of the future which was really every possible version of the future. I smiled to Dan and walked on into another room. We slowly made our way through long corridors of books and relics and artefacts. In the Egyptian room everything was huge, bold shapes of sandstone, sphinxes and pharaohs and strange cats. In the Japanese room everything was by comparison tiny and exquisite with intricately painted details on porcelain vases, dragons and sundials and elegant birds. In a hall of post-war German paintings it was all hard shapes and block colours and I read the words collective guilt written on one of the walls. In a room filled with Grecian urns I thought about Disney's animated version of Hercules. We never stopped to look at the same displays. We would just meet in the middle of each room and then move on to the next one, nodding to one another. We were at our best. Eventually in the North American room we stood side by side at the bottom of a giant totem pole and looked up. It's so interesting that all of this stuff came from all over the world, from all of these different periods of history, and they're all basically just the same, I said. Depictions of animals and people, all these faces just made from whatever materials were accessible. It's quite comforting, I continued. I was speaking at the same pace that I was thinking, something I felt comfortable doing finally in his presence. I looked at Dan inside profile and noted the shape of his nose again, as though updating the memory, as though reminding myself to not forget it, just in case it was going to be my last luck. It just makes me feel kind of stupid, to be honest, he said, turning and walking on into another room. We were hung, on a, we were hung over because the previous evening we had drunk enough alcohol to be able to face one another. We had sat on the floor and consumed beer after beer until we were drunk enough to dance around his living room until I was tired enough to pass out gently on the guest bed. I had seen thousands of other people in the last few weeks, but I hadn't wanted to talk to a single one of them. Now that we were together again, there wasn't very much to say. I got lost in my head for a while, thinking about my journey to his house the night before. I had been jammed into the corner of the train at rush hour, surrounded by strangers, listening to the most obnoxious hip-hop I could think of, and I had thought about how the reason I had realised we could never work was because we had all of the same type of sadness, and we had none of the same type of joy. I had looked out at the raindrops on the outside of the windows as they were sliding down the glass towards the earth, and I had wondered when I was going to take on the challenge of really loving somebody, and if that was how it worked, if that was something you even got to make a decision in. I was always trying to be smart, I was always thinking about intention, but there we were standing at the bottom of a giant totem pole and he said he felt stupid, and I didn't even understand what that meant. I found him again looking at a large golden clock which was inside of a glass case. He pointed to the plaque beside it, which said the clock had been made in the year 1589. I clumsily did the math in my head. He reached across and put his hand on my shoulder and leaned towards me, placing his index finger over his lips. I opened my eyes wide. Listen, he said, and so I listened hard. The clock was still ticking. Well, yeah, I still get, I still feel really, it feels really intense, that story, even though I wrote that one um, 
when I entered the contest the, the, with 421 Atlanta who published my book, um, I had a bunch of stories already and I had an idea for this one. I think the original manuscript was maybe like six stories and I had this idea for this one and I remember I finished it like the day before the deadline or something. So I wrote this one kind of specifically for the book and then the book changed a lot in this in a year or so bef before it was published. Um, and it's weird because like this is, the story is based on like, you know, like I did go to the museum with someone and stuff and like a lot of those things kind of happened, but then also they didn't happen at, they hadn't happened at the time, you know, like, or some of the things I think happened afterwards or some of the feelings really developed after I had already written it. So it was this weird experience of having, um, like predicting the future th through the story somehow. Um, and nobody read that one apart from the, my editor, Amy, um, nobody read that story or I didn't show it to anybody for quite a long time until the whole, um, the whole like personal thing was no longer sort of ongoing. So yeah, it's strange. I really, I th think it's difficult to, I can't see how I could write something like that now because just because my life is really different, but having that kind of like, yeah, I was, I think I was really alone, you know, um, in a way that I don't feel currently. So that's interesting. Um, but also another thing I just remembered while reading it was it, I suddenly recalled the first time that, yeah, the first time that I sort of shared that with anyone was at Mike Bushnell's book launch for Oso. Um, his really, really great, enormous poetry book, um, which came out, the, the book launch was like 2014, summertime sometime, at Mellow Pages. And it was like this really intense evening where Mike asked, it was me, there was Sean H. Doyle, Faith Lila, Natalie Albert, and he asked everybody to do something that they wouldn't usually do. Um, and so all week, or I remember the week before, leading up to it, I had this kind of crazy thing that I had been working on for a while that I actually never did anything with this really, I don't know, I'm glad I didn't. I had this really sort of traumatic story thing that I'd written and I thought that because everybody was being asked to do something uh, unusual that I should, would maybe read this thing and then I was talking to my friend Rachel during the day of the reading and I said well I've got this one story that nobody's um, read or heard at all and then I that I could read that it, but it's kind of my, it feels more placid to me and then I've got this really intense thing and then sort of through discussing it with her and realizing that um, everybody else was going to do something crazy at the read. Everybody did like these really intense performances. And I, so I thought, 
okay, I could just do something really muted. And, you know, so I just read this. So I read the British Museum for the first time and it was, it was really cool, I think, because everybody had done these intense performances with like one girl had like a cello and then another one had, um, there was like recordings involved and all this kind of like um, extra stuff. And then mine was just like, I just sat on a chair for some reason. I don't know why I decided to sit down that time. Just sat down and read the story. And I think just the actual content of the work was powerful by itself. And so, yeah, but that, I think it's the, it's the story that most people, I get the most kind of comments about it from the book. So anyway, I wasn't anticipating just talking about this, but feels kind of nice to do it, especially now sort of um, figuring out my next book. It feels kind of good to go back to the one I've already written and to see and to remember the process of how it came together because it was very, you know, like it, now it feels like this really, like I feel really happy about, I really like my book. I think it's really good. The timing of it was kind of perfect. It wasn't ready until it was ready. And then that was basically just, you know, before it went to print. So that's, but it wasn't always like that, you know, and it went through the, all these different versions and it had various different titles. And I didn't really know what it was because it's a story collection and it's all, I feel like you could call it a novella or a novel or like, it's really all the same story or it's really like this arc of my life reflected in these different stories. Working on what I'm working on now, which is another, I don't know. I mean, I guess I don't know what it is. Like I thought that it was going to be a novel because I was writing these stories in a kind of chronological linear way for a while where it just seemed like it was a long story. And now a bit more time has passed since I've been doing that. And it's kind of like, it doesn't really, I don't know if that's the best way for me to do it. I think that there's other stuff that I want to talk about it and talk about, and there's other stuff that I want to fit in. Like maybe not in, not in a traditional novel format. So I don't know, I'm, I'm happy writing stories, but it's, it's good to look at the, it's good to look at the motion and think, okay, well, this wasn't always, this didn't come perfectly formed. You had to do a lot of work to, to make it that way. And you had to cut a lot of stuff, you know, like, I feel like at the moment, I'm just everything I write, I'm like, oh, that's fine. But what it's not, it doesn't sort of, I don't know, it feels like kind of having this big canvas and then just colouring in like one corner of it and then realising like, but there's still all this blank space and something like that. So anyway, yeah, that was the British Museum. Maybe I will read it tomorrow, although I don't know, it might feel awkward and it might just ruin my evening because I kind of want to have a good time because it's like Saturday night and Maylan is here and everything I think it's just going to be as a fun it's just going to be a fun event but then my other option is reading uh one of my newer stories about terrorism so I guess we'll just see <laughs> maybe I'll try and write something light-hearted this afternoon probably not and that was Lucy with emotion 
since then she's put out several books. I just think it's really interesting to see her at that time. I think it's easy to get jealous or resentful of someone if you don't know what they've been through and how much work they actually put in. So it's just like really helpful to sit down and listen to that and hear her go through the emotions and to go through to see like sort of behind the scenes of her work. And it felt like that just, it felt unpolished and it felt raw and it felt real. And sometimes that helps as like an audience to see her go through that shit. It's because you can relate. But, you know, I like just hearing that shit. Because now I feel like if she did something like that, she would have an intro, she would have a conclusion, she would have, it would be a lot more formatted, it would be a lot more worked on than just, it wouldn't be just her sitting down. You know, as Dolly noted, first episode, I don't know if I'm going to do another one of these. Because I don't know what the fuck this is. See you guys later.